Friendship with God should result in nothing less than a transformational effect in your life and in the world around you. That's what we're going to be looking at today. That's kind of the overarching theme of what I'm going to be talking about and what I, uh, more importantly, what I think God is trying to communicate to us through his word. Um, if, uh, if it's your first uh, time here, we're glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, my name is Curtis Jones. And uh, what? Uh, I am not Curtis Jones. Uh, and uh, I am not Ernest. I uh, am not Derek. And for that, believe me, I am as disappointed as you are in that. Um, I am Jeremy Wells. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm your friend. I'm, I'm uh, uh, honored to be here uh, bringing the word to you today. Um, I've been uh, part of Bayou City for a few years now, my wife, and uh, I love this community deeply. Um, I, uh, uh, you know, just a bit about me, because you guys are like, who's this guy talking to us, you know? That's, that's what I heard you saying. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm uh, uh, occupationally, I'm an entrepreneur, so I do a couple different businesses um, and uh, have started those and managed those. Uh, vocationally, I'm an artist, so I create things. I, I can't help but do that, because that's how God wired me to do that. That has a few different outlets, and I will be creating until I'm instructed otherwise. Uh, And in the church, um, I have the honor of serving as an elder here. Um, Very privileged and um, uh, blessed to get to contribute and serve in that capacity. Uh, Eldership at Bayou City Church, we're a church that's led by elders. Um, I'm one of uh, of a handful. There's, uh, uh, what, like nine or something of us, ten? There's a few. Uh, Eight? Yeah, right. Way to go, Jeremy. Um, anyway, there's, there's a bunch of elders here. We, lead, we get to lead and uh, listen to the Lord where he's leading us together. Uh, it's an honor. And part of the role of that is, is shepherding. And so uh, a shepherd's job, of course, is to bring a flock together. We're going, hey, guys, let's go. Come on, let's go over here. And so shepherds, you know, they call out to their sheep. And they're going, uh, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, sheep, there's water over here. Let's go drink. And other times it's like, hey, sheep, there's a cliff over there. Don't walk over it. Or, hey, sheep, there's a wolf. He's going to kill you. Um, or, hey, sheep, don't do this, don't do that. So today, if you want to turn in your Bibles to James 4, we're going to continue our series. I get to have that shepherd's voice that's not the funnest message to bring, to be honest. Uh, I kind of feel like Curtis, when he gave me this passage, he's like, let's see, do I want to preach uh, Jesus loves the little children or the one that insults the congregation? That's how Curtis talks in elders meetings. Um, he doesn't. Um, but so I, I think that Curtis is probably at, at Cyprus preaching Jesus loves the little children right now. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, how God's word calls us adulterers and enemies of God. It's going to be fun. Um, so as you turn to um, James 4, verse 5, when I, when I started looking at this, I was like, man, that seems harsh. And I looked it up. And sure enough, it's known as like one of the harshest verses in all of the Bible. Um, so I'm like, sweet. Okay. Um, so anyway, enough about that. You guys ready? All right, good. Here we go. Adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? Harsh, right? Right? A little bit? Some nods? Yeah? Okay. I feel like this is a really harsh passage. I read this, and in this text, it is, he's, not, uh, 
He's not mincing words here. He means, when you look at the original language, he means adulteresses. This is a harsh text. And I'm reading this and I'm going like, hey, I was tracking along with you, James. The whole part of James so far, you've been calling me brother. Like that's how you address the church. And then all of a sudden he switches gears and he's like adulteresses. And so I'm looking at this going like, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be called by an apostle, an adulteress uh, or an adulterer or an enemy of God. Anybody that's like, you know, there's a lot of people you don't want to be enemies with. Like God's pretty high up there on the list. Like that doesn't end well if you've read anything in Old Testament, like not good. So in order for us to not be called by apostle or God, frankly, and through his word, adulteresses uh, or enemies, we need to look at, before we understand those two um, accusations or, or descriptions rather, we need to understand these two words that lead to that, which are friendship with and the world. So, because apparently if you're friends with the world, uh, it makes you an adulteress and an enemy of God. Seems harsh to me. I don't know. Let's find out. Um, so first of all, we're going to look at this word um, world, uh, and, then we'll, and then we'll talk about friendship. Sound good? Good. So this word world that's used here is uh, from the Greek word uh, cosmos, uh, like cosmos or uh, 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 cosmetics, you know, like makeup and stuff. I'd explain where that comes from, but it's weird, so I won't. Um, the word means a lot of things. It does mean world. It means universe. Um, more uh, appropriately, it means kind of like a collection of things. So like our universe is a collection of uh, stars and planets and within our solar system, it's a collection. Uh, it also means a collection of thoughts and ideas. And what the word is referring to in this passage in James is just that. That when he's talking about the world, he's not saying like nature, okay? So all you hippies like me, don't freak out. You can still go camping and backpacking and you won't be an enemy or an adulteress, okay? We'll get that out of the way. So he's not saying if you're friends with the world, that's going to happen. Um, what he's talking about is, is befriending, and again, we'll, we'll come back to friends later. He's befriending these thoughts of the world. Now, I'm going to use the word stories, if that's okay with you, uh, for the rest of this talk. Because I think that uh, it translates a little better. It's a little easier to understand. This word that I'm referring to, story, could also be uh, synonymous with worldview. Uh, or what sociologists would call a paradigm. Or uh, kind of a, an idea framework. Uh, I like stories, so we're going to use stories. Any objections? Good. Okay, so these stories are in every culture. Every culture has a story. These stories are uh, woven into the fabric of our society. They answer all of the important questions of a culture, uh, such as who am I, where did I come from, uh, what am I doing here, what's my purpose, Where's, what is my history, what is my future, um, what is true, what is, what is beautiful, um, all of those questions. Th- these are very purpose-oriented questions. The, the reason that these stories within culture uh, are important is because they define the very types of cultures we create. Uh, I want us to look at um, a few stories that are present within our very culture and, and think about how they might uh, be infiltrating uh, your mind or the things that you've seen. Now, keep in mind, all of us have stories that we are living out of. Every single one of us here have a story that we are interpreting the world through. Now, whether you're aware of it or not, you do. Uh, These stories, uh, we'll look at a few of them in our culture that are very common and prevalent. Individualism. Individualism is the story that I am the center of the universe, that in the beginning, I. 
Um, if you've watched a recent political debate, you have a pretty good understanding of this. Um, naturalism, in the beginning man, or in the beginning nature. Um, this is that the earth has evolved, and it is what it is, and it's all sort of a uh, kind of a cosmic soup that happened to work into this perfect orderly system. Um, uh, consumerism, that you are what you consume, that your worth is gained by uh, the, how much stuff you can accumulate. Now, with all of these, I hope you can see that these are very prevalent. The problem with these is that they have natural consequences. So individualism, if everything is about me, if I am the end-all, be-all, then why should I care for others or, uh, or what am I looking at uh, when, I, when I look at my relationships with other people? It's because it's all about me. Uh, consumerism, if everything is about consuming something, um, I mean, think about how we can maybe translate this into uh, our society and and, uh, and in fact, even in our very church, uh, a lot of times we, we visit churches and we uh, grade them on what we get out of them. You know, it's this consumption. What did it give me? What, I wasn't fed there, you know? Um, and in our relationships, and if, frankly, if it's all about collecting the most things, then why should we care for the poor? Because sucks for him, bad luck, uh, here's a buck, you know? Um, moral relativism. This is a story that uh, we really can't know what's universally good. You know, I mean, what's true here might not be true over there. What, what's uh, legal in this country, well, if it's, or this state, frankly, if it's illegal in that state, well, that's, you know, that is what it is. There really isn't a, like an absolute truth that we can apply to everybody. That just wouldn't be fair. Uh, nationalism or patriotism. My country is the best country. It's the only country. It's God's country. Um, postmodern tribalism. So this would be like the idea that like my group, I, I encounter this one a lot. Uh, what you believe is your belief and what I believe is my belief. You can't really tell me that like you're right and I'm wrong because like I and my tribe, my group of friends, like the people that I listen to, they believe this and I, and I agree with that and it makes sense to me. But hey, it's cool that you believe in this thing. It's just you can't really force it upon me or like you shouldn't expect me to believe what you believe, right? Very common lies is what we're hearing here. Salvation by therapy, the idea that... Uh, that uh, the story that I can, be, I can reach my full human potential through inner exploration and self-help. Friends, what I want you to see here is that um, these are all subtle lies. And when we're talking about the world here, um, it's important to briefly talk about the prince of this world. Uh, Satan himself, these are tools that he's created. He loves these little lies. He is so crafty, so crafty. He's crafty with scripture when you look at how he tempted Jesus. He's crafty with his words, the way he tempted Eve. He is very crafty and he continues to be crafty today. It is important for us to be aware of the manipulative tools that he is currently trying to get into our culture, into our society, so that we can combat against them. All of these could be classified under what my friend Jack Wisdom calls the bogus world system. I love that term. All of these are part of this bogus world system that is out there um, and is part of all of these uh, stories. Again, there are all of these lies. Um, a, a teacher who I absolutely adore, uh, Daryl Miller, he refers to these stories as glasses. And so um, these, uh, my, I've got prescription glasses. You guys look great right now. Uh, it's like a bunch of like colored blurbs right now. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, no, but these are, these are prescription glasses. So like, I, I can see you, Derek. Hey, uh, everybody else, sorry. Um, and so I can't really see you guys, right? But I, if I put these on, all of a sudden, I can like read, you know, your notes in there. What are you writing? No, I'm just kidding. I can't read your notes. But I can see perfectly. I can see with 2020 with my lenses. 
Now, all of us um, are looking uh, glassy. You could think of this, uh, th- these stories as the lenses through which your, your mind is interpreting that which is around you. And so these stories, uh, they impact the way that we interact with things. They, inter- they impact the way that we interact with money, with relationships, with uh, all of these good things that God has created. Um, and what these lies do is they try to make those good things an ultimate thing. Many of us have been redeemed in our hearts and born again in Jesus, but we haven't allowed the Spirit yet to uh, fully uh, uh, renew our minds. And so it's equivalent to uh, getting new frames but putting your old prescription in it. It just doesn't work well. If you're wondering at this point, um, you know, <laughs> I told you this was going to be harsh, right? Okay, so I, you know, I'm just saying this is God's word that we're getting at this. Uh, if you're wondering, though, like I was reading through this, how does this uh, apply to me? Again, because like, I don't want those lies. That doesn't sound good, Jeremy. Uh, how do we make sure that these lies aren't permeating the things that we're doing? Well, I would just submit to you a couple, a couple things. So uh, what do you give your most, most of your thought to? What do you give most of your time to? What do you give most of your money to? Check out your credit card statement. Check out your, your bank accounts. Again, now those things aren't necessarily the bad things, but what I would challenge you to do is with that data set that you now have, examine the motive behind it. What's, what's driving those things? That's what I would ask you to do. And then ask yourself, what story does that fit best in? Does it fit best within, um, does it, or do you see any semblance of that uh, motive within any of these other stories that we talked about? Or do you see it fitting best within the one true story, uh, which is the word of God, the grand story, the story of our beginning, the story of the end of time, the story of the consummation where Jesus is returning to renew all things? Does it fit better within the story of your calling as a believer that, those are the, the, the challenges that I would have for you. Now, one thing I want to be really careful with here is that, uh, is that you don't hear what I'm not saying. And what I'm not saying is that uh, we should go and create a Christian version of these things in the world, right? So we should create our own versions of everything in the world because these things are, uh, these things are bad. We don't want to be corrupted by them. So let's go out and make a Christian version of them. That's not what I'm saying, guys. Um, I'm not saying that we need to go out and uh, create this subculture out there. Uh, and Jesus, you know, he was concerned about this too. And if you look at John 17, uh, verses 15 through 18, Jesus is, uh, is talking to his father, this beautiful prayer he's going through. And he says to, he says, uh, says to the father, I have given them your word, the world hated them. Again, this is that same word, so be thinking about that. The world hated them because they are not of the world, as I am not of the world. I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You see this common thread? They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. And then he says that I also have sent them into the world. So that's the call for us, guys. It's not that we're to be removed from the world. It's not that we're to be removed from um, all of the, the things of the world, okay? These are good things. They're just not ultimate things. These are good things. That the, 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 the theme here is consistent. What Jesus is saying is the same thing that God said to Adam and Eve. Genesis to John, we see a consistent uh, calling on the life of the believer. That is to be cultivators, to be fruitful. So cultivators, that that means culture makers, culture makers, not running away from culture. 
We are to be culture makers. We are to be fruitful, not just with being fruitful and multiply. We often just think that that's about kids. That means taking whatever God's given you and making more of it. That's a good thing. And we are to be governors. We are to, we are to have an influence in the way in which things are ordered in this world because we've got direct revelation from God and how those things should go. So that's the world. You still might be thinking, um, you know, how does this, um, how does friendship with the world result in an enemy and an adulterous relationship with God? And I get that because I I understand you're like, well, you know, well, sure. I might've like thought a few of those things, but like, I don't know. I mean, I kind of see some of the validity in some of those thought processes. So is it really that big of a deal? You might be thinking that. Um, So let's talk about friendship. Friendship, we've got like a super skewed version of friendship. I'll just throw that out there, okay? Uh, well, and I won't even say super skewed. I'll just say that we have a very different understanding of friendship compared to um, what he was talking about in ancient times. In ancient times, when you were to call somebody a friend, uh, Aristotle said that uh, the best way of describing um, a friendship with somebody is it's like uh, two souls, uh, I'm sorry, two bodies, one soul is the best way that Aristotle would describe that. So when I read this, I'm thinking like friends, you know, like, like all of you guys, people on Facebook, that sort of thing, you know? And I'm like, you know, this seems serious for, you know, calling something a friend, right? So like just to prove that this is not what he's talking about, I have a confession. It's not a confession. It's a statement. I friended the world yesterday on Facebook. I did. I went to the world's Facebook page and I clicked like. So I friended the world. I'm just throwing that out there to prove, and it was awesome. There was a GoPro mounted to a hawk flying along a cliff, and I'm like, I want to be a hawk now, but I don't know what to do with that. It was, uh, it was a good page. It was very interesting. Um, it's about the physics of things. Um, that's about what I got from it. Um, this is not what it's talking about. In, in ancient cultures, being a friend with somebody was an intimate covenant that you entered into somebody. Um, so you would in, into with somebody. So you would, um, you, would, uh, you would enter into, it wasn't like any other relationship in, in your culture. And being, calling somebody a friend meant that you were covenanting to that person. So um, you were going to that person. So, Anthony, we're going to covenant together as friends. Everything I have is at your disposal. If armies come and attack you, I will be there to defend you at my very life. We will, uh, whatever I have is yours and whatever you have is mine. This is a very deep bond, right? So like that's, that's the kind of like, yeah, like brotherhood, like, you know, kind of, kind of friendship. This was also used to describe brothers who were in combat together. This is not a trite word. But I think the best understanding we can have of friendship here is that um, this is, again, kind of like what Aristotle said, was this, this whole idea of one soul. Um, John Fitzgerald said this. He said that an extremely common ancient understanding of friendship is reflected in the affirmation that friends think the same things. Friends think the same things. This understanding of friendship is closely related to the one soul characterization like I just spoke about. Because friends, lovers, um, and the reason he says, I'll explain that in a second, share one soul, they naturally think the same thing. This word that he uses here for friends with the world is phylos. It's a it's a strange word. Uh, it only occurs once in the New Testament, right here. This word, uh, again, is not like our understanding of it. And it's actually one of the Greek words for love. 
So it is a very deep, intimate, unifying, uh, mingling together of, of, of thoughts, ideas, and souls. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds like marriage. You think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I'm so glad we're on the same page. Um, it, it, it's marriage. That's, it's, it's, it's not marriage, but it's the, it's the next step down from that. It's like the bond, the closest bond you can have with somebody next to marriage. This is a serious thing. So now I think we can see why if I'm friends with the world, that's a serious deal, right? But why does that matter to us? Why, I still don't get why that, why that relates to us being adulterers and enemies. Well, let's look at a couple things here, guys. As I look at scripture, I go, why, where's he coming from? Well, I didn't have to look far because the good news is it's all throughout scripture. All throughout scripture is the allegory that God's people are akin to a bride waiting for her bridegroom. We, his church, are part of the bride of Christ. We see that narrative throughout all of scripture. In Isaiah 54, 5, he says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. Ephesians 5, 27, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Revelation 19, seven through nine, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Friends, hear me clearly. When you turn to have faith in Jesus and his life, death, resurrection, and you received the indwelling of his Holy Spirit and were baptized in his name, in other words, you followed him, you were wed to Christ. You are betrothed. To Christ. Now, in ancient cultures, when you were betrothed to somebody, when you were engaged to somebody, because again, the symbolism that we have is a bride preparing for a wedding. In ancient cultures, when you were betrothed to somebody, that was the same thing as, as being married, equivalent to our culture, the way we view it. It was a very serious commitment, is what I'm saying. When you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, you get the privilege of being called the bride of Christ. Now, um, that is a, a privilege and an honor, uh, really, when we think about it. And so if we extrapolate this idea a bit, um, we can kind of start to see why he would call us adulteresses. When we are of one mind with the world's ideas, how could we be one mind with him? Because the unity of marriage is that the two become one, right? Well, if that's what God is calling us into in marriage, in this, in this unifying relationship with him, how could we possibly be one mind with these other things that are contrary to the word of God, contrary to the one true story. To illustrate this a little bit, um, actually, my friend Anthony uh, recommended this great book, uh, uh, Good or God, something like that. Anyway, uh, and he gives this, this illustration in there, and I'll, I'll tell it in my own story because it'll make more sense. But um, So I uh, proposed to my wife almost like 14 years ago, probably to like this day, you know, like, I don't know, it was, but, you know it, was, it was like February, I think, 14 years ago. 14 years, right? I mean, so much trouble if it's not. Um, so I, uh, and I took her, um, I'm not going to brag, but it was pretty awesome. So I took her to Minnesota, besides that part, no offense, Minnesota. Um, I took her to Minnesota and I went to this place in Rochester again, sorry, Rochester, but you know, and, uh, and I, and it was beautiful. It was where we had our first date. It's a long story. Uh, another time. 
And it was where we had our first date. And I was like, well, that would be perfect, you know, because I'm from California. She's from Texas. We had this long distance thing. Where do you date? Well, Minnesota seems good. So we went, we went back there again to propose to her. And I had it all planned out. I got this like trash bag of rose petals and it was snowing. And I'm like scattering rose petals throughout the forest. Isn't that cool? And so I get to the end and I like dump them out and I hide the ring under there. And then I go back and I'm like, hey, honey, let's go for a walk. It's, uh, you know, the sun's setting. And she's like, no, it's like 15 degrees outside. And I was like, come on, come with me. You're going for a walk. And so she gets all bundled up and we go for a walk and she's like, where are we walking? And I'm like, it's going to be wonderful. And she's like, oh, a rose petal. That's weird. And then she kind of is like, yeah, it's weird. And she gets it. Anyway, we pick up the rose petals and we get out there and they're all like frozen. <laughs> they, they were completely rock hard. Anyway, we get out there and I like, I get down on one knee to her and I'm like, will you marry me? You know, and, I, and she's like, yes. And so then we, you know, we talk and kiss and we go inside and recover from frostbite. But imagine if, um, it was beautiful. Um, imagine if I would have been on one knee and I'm like, honey, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And you're the one for me. You're perfect for me. I will, I will give you everything I have and I'll be completely committed to you. Um, just like one thing. I, you know, this whole idea of like total exclusivity. I don't know. It seems a little outdated. So I'm thinking like, hear me out, hear me out. Like, like one week a year, it's like open season, you know, we're free to like see other people. There's a lot of girls out there. I'm just saying, that's not too much to ask. What do you think she would say? What do you think? She'd say, no, she's a Southern girl. She'd say not no, but uh, heck no. Um, she would, um, so next I would come back and then say next I came back and I went, okay, I get that slap. I had that coming. Um, but I would say, you know, okay, listen, a week, that's too much to ask. How about, how about just one day out of the year? So 364 days out of the year, I will love you, be committed to you. You will be my everything. I will sing songs in your name. I will tell everybody about you. I will honor you. I'll go to all your meetings. I'll attend anything you want. I'll give you the first fruits of everything I have. Just like one day, can I go to Vegas and like, you know, live it up, right? And it stays there anyway, right? What do you think she'd say? No. At this point, hopefully she'd be walking away. What if I begged further and was like, okay, one hour, just one hour. That's certainly, I mean, seriously, are you going to be like that? No. One minute? No. Why? Because the desire that she has for me is for me to be wed and one with her. Anything outside of that, anything outside of that is is breaking that desire. God's desire for you is so fierce that he doesn't want to share you with anything else. And frankly, he can't. If you took a pitcher of blue uh, water and a pitcher of uh, red water, I should have brought an illustration. This is my illustration. See this picture and this picture? And then we, we mixed these together. They became what? Come on, uh, art history student. Or, okay, purple, right? Did I say blue and red? I said blue and red, right? Okay, good. They became purple. How would I take this picture now and say, well, let's pull the red out of that? You can't. When the two become one, They cannot be unseparated. Friends, you have become one with Christ. When you said, I I do and I believe in you, I want to put my faith in you. I think it's Colossians that says that your life, which is now in Christ, uh, or your, uh, your life, which is now Christ. So your life is hidden within him. That is a high calling. So I want to be very clear here. Our flirtation with the world's stories and lived out through the choices that come from living out of those stories is not just flirtation. It is nothing less than spiritual adultery 
against the very one who has loved you and saved you. Choosing the world is equivalent to the temporal satisfaction that comes from being with a prostitute for a night versus the lifelong, loving, knowing relationship that comes from a, of, of a faithful marriage. You can see why this seemingly harsh description is perfectly appropriate in light of the one true story. So we get that. But you're not just a bride. You are a citizen of a new kingdom. You are citizens of a new society that God is calling to live differently in this world, to be a light for the world, and ultimately to lift his name up. So let's, let's turn to Luke eleven seventeen twenty three. Okay. So Jesus walks into a village. Sounds like, it's like the bartender says, uh, no. So Jesus walks into a village and he's used to like people coming up to him and like, son of God, heal me, son of God, this and that, you know. And, and he, you know, sometimes does, sometimes he doesn't. That's his call. Um, but he walks into this village and there's this guy here who's possessed by a demon. Except he doesn't go like, son of God, because he's, he's the demon makes him mute. And so he's like, like, probably look at me, like help, you know. Anyway, so Jesus heals this guy that's mute. He couldn't talk. And Jesus heals him, the guy can talk. And the other guys, uh, some of the troublemakers were watching this and they go, he heals by the, that's how they talked. He heals by the power of Satan himself, by Bezebub. And, you know, and, and Jesus is like, looks at them and like a Jedi reads their mind and says, no, guys, wrong. I'm not healing by the power of Satan. That's crazy talk. How could Satan be fighting Satan? Think about it. If he's fighting himself, he's going to collapse. His kingdom will not survive, right, guys? Right, okay. So they get this, and then he also then turns it on its head, and he says, that's not what happening, what's happening here at all. In fact, I'm on the offense. I'm going after the strong man. I'm binding him up. I'm stealing his weapons. What are his weapons? What are Satan's weapons, like I talked about earlier? Pop quiz, his lies. That's how, those are his weapons. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming in here, and I'm taking his weapons. Jesus is on the offense, but then hear this, okay? This is from Jesus himself. He says, just as Satan will not allow a civil war within his kingdom, well, I certainly won't either. Anyone who is not with me is against me, verse 23. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Now heed God's word. Avoid enmity with God. Choose instead to be his friend. You were made for that deep soul friendship with God himself. You were fashioned for that. Actively and passively, worldliness makes a person hate God and be hated by God. Okay. So at this point, you guys are like, okay, we get it. We don't want to be friends. We don't want to be enemies of God. We certainly don't want to be adulteresses. And so you're like, Jeremy, what do we do? The danger here is going to be this, that you would, um, that you would hear what I'm saying and that you would think, you would leave hearing that you need to try harder, that you need to uh, be better, that you need to... Uh, you know, sin less, pray more, read your Bible more, listen to good Christian music, homeschool your kids, these things, right? Volunteer at church more. But here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Those are all good ambitions. But listen, listen. 
Good ambitions does not gospel make. The beauty and power of the gospel is that you are no longer having to fight against sin because Jesus has already defeated it in the death and resurrection on the cross. And avoiding the world is not merely a matter of sinning less or doing more good. That's not what the text is saying here. So now, I will say this. like If you're currently choosing sin, stop. Turn. Turn to him. Stop justifying it. Turn to him immediately. That's like the first step of following him that we don't like to talk about because we don't want to be rude and call you out. But I'm calling you out. There's a better story out there, guys. There's a better life out there for you. But the problem of, of me, uh, if you heard what I'm saying is like, I need to be better or do more good things, is that that's just a gospel of behavioral modification. That's a gospel of sin management. And the problem with that is that the motivation for change with that gospel will only be driven by the results of the outcome of sin, not the, not the root of it. And if you've ever gardened a day in your life, you will know that weeds will continue to grow unless you pull them out and destroy the root. And only by the indwelling friendship, that deep soul friendship with the spirit of God, will the root of sin be put to death in your heart. No good deeds, no trying harder. None of that is going to kill sin in your life in the way that the spirit has intended. The gospel story, the one true story, is that we don't have to defeat sin because Jesus already has. Now, hear me out. Sin's desire is still for you. In Genesis chapter two, I think it's 27, God's speaking to Cain. Cain's about to do a bad, bad thing. And God speaks to him in this friendly way, this relational way again. And he says, if you would only do what is right, Uh, Or if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Now, friends, I want you to hear that um, that this this desire that sin has is not to just make your um, thoughts uh, different or to maybe uh, give you a way to kind of live both lives. Its desire is to destroy you. But Jesus' desire is to give you life. Now, do you ever feel like maybe this whole Jesus thing is getting boring or maybe like maybe life in general is getting uh, kind of played out? Uh, like, you know, I went, you know, college, marriage, kids, job, check, check, check. Like, is that all there is, right? Or maybe you're past that and you're like, you know, I've worked hard all my life and now I'm gonna retire and play golf every day. Is that what life is all about? I'm inviting you guys And the spirit is inviting you to a much better story. And perhaps the disillusion that you've experienced in your life is in your faith, in your life, is that this whole time you thought you were swimming in God's ocean, but you've just been wading in a tide pool. Maybe it's not that you're, um, like C.S. Lewis would say, that, um, that we're far too easily pleased, that our desires aren't too strong, but too weak. God, Guys, the Spirit now invites us to imagine a life where our purpose is defined by more than the sum of our possessions, more than the friends, fans, and followers that we have, more than the collection of things that we transformation, the level of our intellect, 
or our occupational title. It is an invitation to a transformational story. C.S. Lewis said that it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Friends, the gospel invitation, the gospel story is not just a religious story. It's not just a, uh, this is not a self-help book, by the way. It is a transformational story that only happens when we put our faith and hope and trust in the one who lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, was raised again and sits at the right hand of God, has given us the indwelling gift of his spirit to enable us to live these things so that we can avoid making those decisions. But even when we do, Jesus comes and he defeats that sin that is crouching ready to defeat us. The last verse in James says, um, Do you think it's without reason that the scripture says that the spirit who lives in us yearns jealously? This sinful, jealous spirit that's within us. I want us to look at one last thing here. Without reason that the scripture says, that without reason word literally means vain or in vain. Friends, don't let his word speak in vain to you today. Don't let the truth that you've just heard from his word be in vain. Let this truth dismantle the bogus world systems that, are, that you've maybe been subscribing to and turn your heart to him. Allow him to remove your mind because friendship with the world will only produce sour fruit. It might look like good fruit, but when you bite into it, it's sour Friendship, this deep friendship with the Spirit will produce what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. How awesome is that, right? We're selling ourselves short. That's the life that God has to offer us. Those are the gifts, their presence. He's giving us so that we can live a life full of those things. I don't know about you, but I think that's awesome. And that's the calling that he has to us. Imagine how our lives would be different if we lived out of that story, if we lived with those gifts. How would your marriage be different? How would your family be different? How would your schooling be different? How would your relationship with your parents, with your boss, how would that be different? How could this transform our communities? How could this transform our nations? The choices before us, problem is you can only choose one. We've seen pretty clearly. We can choose the one true story and have a very full, rich life. Or we can continue to choose these bogus stories that will only result in sour fruits. Friends, I encourage you, choose the one true story. God, I pray that you would that you would uh, that you would give us the ability, Lord. I'm sorry, you've already given us the ability. It's pretty clear in your word. 
But God, it's still up to us. We still have to respond to your word. You're so gracious, God. You're so merciful. Lord, what if you had responded to us in what we deserved? We don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve these good gifts. No, clearly we don't, God. Your law is perfect. And God, in light of that, we are not. Jesus, you've extended such mercy to us and given us such clear vision for life. God, I don't want to see us banging our heads against the wall, trying these other ways. You have already made it clear to us, God, how then we should live. So I pray, God, that we would leave here today and not look at ourselves in the mirror and see things that we need to change. But God, that we would look at ourselves in the mirror in light of this this loving yet firm truth and that we would see what needs to change, God. Then realize that you've already given us the power for that change in your spirit. And God, that we would simply release our lives to you. Allow you lordship and allow you to come enter in and uh, covenant with us in this deep soul friendship that you offer. Lord, so that we can live a life before you. In Jesus' name, amen.